Good morning, everybody. I'm about 9,000 times more nervous than I already thought I was going to be, so that's a lot. Um, I just want to thank Josh for the opportunity to share this, although I'm kind of wondering what I got myself into here. And um, just thank God for the ways he's worked in my life. And um, I'm going to start off with a little Jesus, because without him, I wouldn't be standing here sharing my story with you today. Um, I'm going to jump into the parable of a sower, and a parable is defined as a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and 18 through 23, Jesus shares the parable of the sower. Verses 1 through 9 state, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was gathering, gathering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where, he did not have much, where they did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they weathered because they had no roots. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up, but were choked by the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced the crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And he goes on to explain further the meaning of the parable in verses 18 through 23. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quick because of the world, sorry, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good ground refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times more than what was sown. In hindsight, I can see this parable compares to my own walk with God, my understanding of who he is, and why it took me a minute to really recognize my own need for Jesus in my life. To set the tone, growing up, I heard of God. We went to church a time or two and even in different seasons. But I really never understood what God was all about, and I had no idea what the big deal was. So even though I had an idea of God, the little bit I knew was like the seeds the bird came and ate up. And this is where my story begins. There's a message in Proverbs that shows up twice. Proverbs 21.9 and Proverbs 25.24. Both verses say that it is better to live on the corner of a rooftop than with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was that wife. Um, and it happened despite my best efforts to be the perfect wife. Um, but at one point I became so angry and so bitter, and I had my reasons, but none of them justified my behavior, um, especially if you're striving to honor God. And for a time, there was nothing God-honoring about the way I treated Cameron. So I'm going to give you a little more background about me. Um, I love Disney princess movies. Who else? Yes. Okay. I'm not alone. So my very favorite one my whole life was Cinderella, and I felt like I related to her because we had so much in common. We both had a ton of chores we had to do if we wanted to go to the ball, or in my case, go out on a Friday night. Um, I had two sisters. They weren't evil, but they were pretty ruthless when it came to sharing clothes. 
And um, I, I imagined that one day I would fall in love, kind of like she did, and ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Um, so I met Cameron when I was 16 years old. My first encounter with him was October 1999. He was the assistant manager at a movie theater. And my sister and I stopped in there to visit a friend who was a friend of Cameron. And they would sell these big chocolate chip cookies. And I wanted one, but I didn't want to pay for it. So I said to my friend, hey, can I please have one of those cookies? And he's like, oh, well, my manager's standing right there. You're going to have to go ask him. And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought it looked cute, and I was feeling pretty confident. So I was like, hey, you know, can I get one of those cookies? And he was like, no. <laughs> so um, much of our life has been like that moment where <laughs> I had these expectations that I was going to get what I wanted, and it didn't happen. Um, but I didn't start throwing temper tantrums then. <laughs> Um, and we went on our first date a few months later after a couple months of him showing up everywhere I was. And in some states, they have laws that protect people against this sort of thing. But, um, you know, we'll talk about that another time. So we went on our first date, and I learned that he was kind and funny and hardworking, and we had a lot of fun together. And um, we spent pretty much every moment together from the first date on until he decided to join the Air Force. And he wasn't even out of basic training before I started getting letters of him asking me to marry him and spend my life with him. And he knew I would tell him no. <laughs> so there was like three or four letters in a row of him convincing me of why I needed to marry him. So he was still pretty persistent. Um, so eventually I said yes. And um, from the two-year mark of when we started dating, we actually got married. And I was 18 and he was 21. Um, as you can probably imagine, I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I'm still living in fairy tale land thinking we're going to load up this U-Haul and ride off into the sunset. Everything's going to be perfect because we're married now. And um, as you can imagine, my reality never met my expectations. Um, I guess I can't say never, but it was often enough that I felt let down and I was hurt. And I would often wonder why I bothered to get married at all. And Cameron, as a young man, was horribly selfish, and I was bitterly angry. And looking back, neither one of us can decide what happened first, kind of like the chicken or the egg. But here we were, you know, this happened, this went around for about two or three years. And I got to the point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And I decided I had a couple options, and I didn't want a divorce, because I really did love him, but... I came to the realization that I couldn't change him, but I could change me. And my dad was very common sense growing up, and he would always tell me that happiness is a choice. You can choose to be happy despite your circumstances and the way people are treating you, or um, you can be mad about it. You know, how do you want to live your life? So I was thinking of those things, and I can still hear my mom saying, remember the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. So I did, at that day, decide, you know what, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be happy despite my circumstances. I'm going to be nice to Cameron, even if I don't like the way he's treating me. And I'd say for the better part of five years, that worked. You know, we were happier. We did have fights, but it wasn't, you know, me slamming doors and screaming anymore. Um, I'm not even reading this, Josh. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm at in my own story. Um, <laughs> but so... Um, 
there we were. Um, we had celebrated our ninth wedding anniversary, and I thought we were happy. Um, Cameron was away at his first deployment. I had had Audrey while he was away. And they had started showing commercials on Lifetime of coming home. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, but it was, you know, they'd show the soldiers or airmen or whatever. The, they were deployed, and they were coming home, and it was a real tearjerker. And I'd watch us and be like, oh, that's going to be us. <laughs> like, we're finally going to have that happily ever after. Things are going to be perfect. Um, but then in a moment, everything changed. And I had discovered that Cameron was making some very foolish and destructive choices. And these choices left me crushed, heartbroken, devastated, depressed. And then there was my old friend, Anger. Um, there were days I couldn't get myself out of bed. I couldn't muster the strength to have a conversation. I couldn't take care of my baby someday. I was completely withdrawn from anybody and everyone. I was completely and utterly broken beyond what I thought was repair. And it was so bad that our families were now aware of how distressed our marriage was. And to our surprise, they were very encouraging, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, and they supported our decision to make it work. The problem was, we didn't know how to make it work. Um, we had lived the first nine years of our marriage 100% separated from God. And the idea of giving this over to a God who I'd never known or understood was a completely foreign and uncomfortable concept to me. Um, I lost my hope in marriage. I didn't know how to put my hope in God. Um, my mother-in-law kept saying over and over and over again, give it to God, give it to God, give it to God. She's a faith-filled woman, and she knew, and she was relentless that God could save our marriage. So one day, I half-heartedly was, I was driving my car, and I half-heartedly asked God, God, I can't do this. Please give me some hope. And as soon as I finished the thought, I drove past a church that was called New Hope. God's funny like that. Um, but, I mean, looking back, this was my first meeble attempt at a prayer, and God was faithful to answer right away. And I wish I could say that shook me and changed my heart, but I'm still human. But So we started going to church, and we started praying and reading the Bible together. And um, I joined a women's group. I began sharing my hurts, and we had people encouraging us with Scripture and through prayer and kind words. And one of them, it's Pam, she's actually in the children's room right now, but God will use people in your life to help you see the things that you can't see right in front of you. And when one of, during one of our women's group, I was saying, I just don't know, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work, it's, it's too broken, it's too far gone. And she said, can't you see? You are living the fairy tale. You're already in your fairy tale. And I couldn't see it at all, but she did, and her sharing that with me did provide some hope. Um, but So we kept doing all these things, but my heart wasn't fully in it, and I was merely going through the motions and faking it until I make it. Cameron, on the other hand, was a radically changed man. It happened Easter Sunday, 2011. When I left for work, we had had a fight, and he was being mean and telling me I needed to get over everything he did because he was sorry, and that should be the end of it. And it wasn't for me. It might have been for him. Um, so I left for work. He took the kids to church that Sunday. And when I came home, he was crying. And he's telling me he's sorry and that God shook him and that God changed his heart. And he could see all the hurt and the damage he had caused. And he didn't care if I stopped fighting. He was going to keep fighting for us. Um, 
So I would say that this is where the seeds in the parable compare to a mixed bag of seeds that fell in rocky places, which would be my hardened heart, and the seeds that fell among the thorns. And for me, that would be all the memories that would surface and cause me to react in angry ways. I would get hopeful and excited when I would read encouraging scripture, like Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I, I found this both encouraging and comforting. And I even caught a thought along the lines of, okay, God, here's my broken heart. Can you go ahead and heal that real quick so I can get back to living the good life? But healing was not quick. And when it proved to be painful, even without me realizing it, my heart would grow hardened. One time as I was praying and confessing to God that I didn't know if I believed our marriage could work and that I could ever trust Cameron again, I would even begin, or, I'm sorry, I didn't know if I could believe Cameron had changed and that I had so much doubt, God stopped me in my tracks and said, there's nothing left to doubt. And this was the first time I'd ever experienced hearing God's voice. And I clung to those words. However, it did not stop the hurt and the pain from surfacing when thoughts of the past came to mind. So here I was with my husband who was a changed man, and I knew it in my heart. And God told me there was nothing left to doubt, yet I was in no mood to accept these facts or make anything easy for Cameron. Instead, I spent the next few years, years, let that sink in, years, acting out, being difficult, and challenging Cameron every chance I got. I acted like a fool. And I'm going to give you an example. So, and this is kind of a comical one to me, but Cameron, if you ask him what's the worst thing Jessica's ever done to you, this is what he's going to tell you. And I don't understand why this is the worst. But um, one day, I was scooping ice cream for us, and a scoop had fallen on the floor. And I looked at it, and it was like the little angel and devil. Like, pick that up and throw it away. No, pick it up and put it in his bowl. So... I had a choice to make. I could do the nice, kind, and loving thing and get rid of the bad ice cream, or I did. I picked it up and I put it in his bowl, but I didn't stop there. I covered it with chocolate and whipped cream and nuts, and I put a cherry on top, and I said, here you go. Um, he knew right away what I'd done because he took a bite, and there was dog hair. <laughs> so, you know, this is comical, like this is funny, but I did a lot of things that weren't funny, and they were very hurtful, and I did them out of spite and anger, and it's not how God wants us to treat each other. He wants us to rise above these things and ask his help for overcoming our hurts and our anger. Um, I question everything he did. Um, If he didn't respond to text, I would go ballistic. I mean, the list goes on. If you could imagine a crazy person, it was me. And I hid it from people. Nobody knew how crazy I was, except for maybe these two sitting right here in the front row. Um, But, you know, it just, I couldn't get past it. And I'm acting terribly. And despite the impression I knew I was giving Cameron, I did desperately want to make our marriage work. I didn't want to be angry anymore. And I read in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 goes a little further saying, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So I was an avid rule follower. I wouldn't bend any rules. Cameron, one time when we were dating, got me to sneak out of the house, and I went back inside. I got to the end of the drive, and I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. And I went back in the house because I hated breaking the rules. So here I am reading the Bible, and this becomes a rule to me. Don't do these things. However, don't sin by letting anger control you. Be kind and compassionate. Get rid of bitterness and rage. But how do I do that? I was hurt, and I had real reasons to be angry, and I was justified in my own mind. I was actively being level 10 insane, and now painfully aware I'm sitting every time I let that hurt boil over into anger, and let that anger then turn into blind rage. It was often. I knew I wanted to obey and honor God, but I'd lost the ability to control my behavior attitude at all where Cameron was concerned. And I certainly was not treating him the way, he wanted, the way I wanted to be treated. I felt powerless to really regulate my behavior, I feel, though, that change was starting to happen, even if I wasn't fully accepting it, because every time I lashed out, I would feel guilty. And I didn't like that. I didn't like feeling guilty about what I was doing. Um, and I feel that was the Holy Spirit kind of chipping away the layers at my heart little by little. Um, and I would pray, too, because I could tell. I could tell I was being angry, or I was getting angry. And I would pray, like, okay, God, please take away this anger, because I read... God will take it away, and um, sometimes, you know, I'd feel convicted and I would refrain, and other times I still couldn't control myself. Since I couldn't seem to forgive and let go, in addition to reading the Bible and praying, I went through a season of what I call biblical self-help books and Bible studies. Some of these I really had a hard time with, and when they hit a nerve, I'd do what angry people do, and I would throw the book. Um, but I do feel like these God, that God used these authors to change my heart a little at a time. Who here has read the book Love Dare? Anybody? Does anybody know what the Love Dare is who hasn't done it? Okay, it's for married couples, but I would encourage anybody thinking about getting married to go ahead and go do it. But what it does, it's a 40-day challenge, and it each day gives you a different aspect of biblical love. And then it gives you a challenge, and some of the challenges are doing acts of love, and some are challenging yourself to think about ways you're not right in your marriage. Um, or even going out and buying your spouse something nice that they wanted that you've not been able to do before. Just, you know, showing them different ways of showing them you love them. Well, one of the days was um, you take two pieces of paper. On one paper, you write down all the things you love about your husband. I'm looking for Ben. Ben, can you please stand up? Okay, nobody loves Cameron more than I do, except Ben Bowman. <laughs> I'm not done with you, Ben. Ben, I need, to, I need you to tell me all Cameron's good qualities because I can't identify any on my own. Um, he tells the truth. He does. He does. He tells the truth. I, I, I was hoping you were going to say what's not to love. And I'd be like, wait, let me tell you. Let me tell you what's not to love about Cameron Gandy. <laughs> so the other list is you write down all the things you don't like about your spouse. And, I mean, he doesn't take out the trash all the time. I've got to like keep shoving it down. And then, it, you know, I put stuff on top because I'm not capable of taking out the trash. So, you know, he needs to be doing this. And another one is he comes home from work and he takes off his socks. Do they go in the hamper? No. 
do they go on the floor? No. They get stuffed in the couch cushions. So for anybody who ever comes over, I swear I try to get them out of the couch before you sit down, I promise. Um, you know, I could probably list others, but I'm not going to shame him up here. But then after you write out your list, they tell you to tuck them away, and the next day the challenge is take out the burned one. Don't read it. Burn it. And the point is to get you to stop thinking about all those negative things your spouse is doing and get you to focus on the things that you should be appreciating. And then another study was, sorry, um, I'm all over the place here. Um, the Power of a Praying Wife by Stormy O'Martian. In the very first chapter, she recounts a prayer she had with God, and she's praying, God, can you change my husband? Do you see all the things he's doing? God, I need you to change him. You know, my life's going to be better once you change him. And he stops her and he says, well, first of all, are you perfect? I think we can all say none of us are. And then he asks, um, or he says, someone needs to be willing to change. So why not you? And then the third thing he says, life's not fair. So after reading that, I thought, why had I been so hell-bent on having Cameron do all these changes in our marriage? It wasn't his sole responsibility to make things right. And I had a very big role to play in it at that point, if I'm being honest. Um, my role was getting to the root of the anger. So there I am coming full circle with ideas I had early in marriage, focus on the good, control my behavior despite my circumstances. And while I felt like they were decent notions, I began to wonder if they aligned with scripture. And I did find support. Um, two of them I'm going to share with you is Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. And Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would like them do to you. Hi, Mom. Um, <laughs> I, know, I knew I, I was now at the point where I needed to accept that Cameron had changed. Um, and he continued to display this God-given change by acting loving and patient and kind every time I gave him a reason not to. And I can say it was a lot. There were days if he acted the way I acted, I would have left. That's how bad I was behaving. Um, so we were, really, we were starting to do better, and my fits kind of got farther out, and they weren't as drastic, but things still weren't right, and we both were kind of growing hopeless that we were really going to be happy. And, you know, we were getting along okay, but there was no happiness between us, and there was still a supersized piece of me that just was holding back. I didn't know how to really let go. I worked hard on trying to see the good in Cameron. Um, it just didn't stop the anger from overflowing. And despite our best effort, our marriage is on the rocks. Except this time, if we're playing the blame game, it wasn't about how he had hurt me. It was about how I continually acted out. Remember the scripture I quoted in the beginning of Proverbs? Um, it is better to live on the corner of a rooftop than with a quarrelsome wife. It was becoming painfully obvious to me that Cameron was considering life on a rooftop, the marriage with me. Um, I was tired of being angry, and I hated it. Um, that is until one day I was going through another Bible study where we were reading Having a Merry Spirit by Joanna Weaver. There's one page in that entire book that God used to change my heart once and for all. It was called Deciding to Forgive, and it was such a big deal for me that I'm going to share it with you now. Do you need to answer that, my dear? Forgiveness involves a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment -moment decision to relinquish our right to be offended. 
It's a conscious determination to let go of our hurt and entrust the person who has wronged us over to God. But that is rarely easy. We all know we should forgive, but how do we do it? One, recognize what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying what the other person did was okay. It does not release him or her from their responsibility. It simply demonstrates that we trust God enough to deal with the person and the situation. Train your brain. Don't continually rehearse the fence in your mind. Instead, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 When unforgiving thoughts pop in your head, take them to Jesus. Three, oh, sorry, four, remember your own need for forgiveness. All of us had said and done things that hurt others. All of us are sinful human beings in desperate need of grace. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Forgiveness isn't easy, but oh, it is so worth it. When we refuse to hold on to our pain, giving instead to the righteous judge, then the grace of Jesus Christ is released into our hearts and the hearts of others. And that's when healing can truly begin. For me, this is when the seed finally fell on good soil, and I understood. I understood that I was failing to recognize my need for God for changing my heart. The entire time, from the beginning of marriage, even after I started believing in God, I still was trying to make things right in my own strength. And that's why nothing was changing. I remember crying and praying after reading this. God, I cannot live like this anymore. I can't deal with the anger on my own. And I know Cameron is tired of all of it. I don't want him to give up on me. I need you, God, and I desperately need you now to change my heart. I realized I've been unforgiving and I'm sorry, God. Please help me forgive Cameron like you do. Please help me love him like you do. I went to bed. The next day, I woke up and I was different. I didn't feel angry anymore. I haven't been angry like that since. Um, I feel what God did is what he stated in Ezekiel 11.9. He will give you a new heart and a new spirit. He will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a new, tender, responsive heart. Let me just say, I have always loved Cameron, and I've loved being married to him at times. <laughs> but in serious, seriously, I've never loved him like I love him now. And I can only say that's because of the change God did in my heart. And it wasn't because I read scripture and thought, okay, God, I can do this on my own. I can be nice. I can be friendly. I couldn't. I tried. I failed over and over and over again. So if you're holding on to any bitterness from something that maybe your spouse has done in the past, give it to God. Like, be the seed that gets turn into fruit. Sorry, I'm struggling. Let God produce the crop in your life. Stop thinking you can do it on your own. Forgive each other. Who in here is perfect? I'm not really raising my hand. I'm not. <laughs> Forgive each other. Stop thinking about that thing your spouse said on the way to church. Stop dwelling on the thing they did last week, last month, last year, 20 years ago. None of it matters. Give it to God. I feel like God wants us, 
He wants to take us from seeds swallowed up by birds. We've all been there. He wants to take us to seeds that get rooted in good soil. That's where he wants to take us. We have to allow him to do that. We can only do that by relying on him. Going to church is great. Reading your Bible is great. Praying is great. But if you're not letting God take it from right here to right here, you're never going to feel that change. And I think that's where I'm going to invite Josh up to close us.